Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another special edition of the Media Boat Podcast as we continue to wrap up the end of the year here with end of the year lists, end of the year stories, and end of the year us. My name is Mike. His name is Matt. My name is Matt. His name is Mike. Thank you for joining us for this 2023 year-end wrap-up series we've been doing for y'all in the month of December. Today, we are tackling video games, and whoo boy, what a year for video games. Um, there's been ups, there's been downs, there's been amazing releases, there's been terrible layoffs. Uh, but today, our job is going to be twofold. First half of the show, we will go down the calendar and break down every month of news for the video games in the year of 2023. And then at the end, determine one news story that was the most important or most impactful, according to us, of that year. Then in the second half of the show, we will talk about our top five video games that we've played this year. I want to emphasize that. Some of us do not play as many games as others. Um, but Some yeah, of us like, did not play all AAA titles this year, so I I, I played a lot of them. Um, yes. <laughs> but yeah, but, and yet still, I haven't played like two of the biggest games of the year. But we'll get there. Um, but yeah, and so like yeah, we're gonna do that, and then eventually we will crown a game that I don't know how we're gonna do this this year. Actually, uh, crown one game that will be both of our uh, representing both of us for the website's game of the year. So. Stay tuned for that, but let's begin by turning the clock back, as we love to do, all the way back to January of 2023. Coming back into our time machine all the way back to the start of the year. And we start with Sony uh, announcing a new customizable controller that's specifically aimed for players with disabilities. I mean, not the most original idea. Microsoft did it first. Already did there, yeah. But... Still pretty cool to see Sony jumping on the bandwagon here and uh, delivering something for people who can't use the traditional DualShock for playing PlayStation games. Yeah, Uh, but we also had a recurring story of the year with Ubisoft and kind of the trouble they've had this year, starting with them canceling three unannounced games and delayed its long in-development pirate adventure game, Skull and Bones. It's funny. Yet again and again. It's funny that this is actually kind of a full circle moment, because if you watched the Game Awards last week, you will know that a brand new trailer confirming a February release date, I think the last one, was announced for Skull and Bones. So that thing's finally coming out in February of 2024, after over 10 years since its announcement. Ah, uh, I know. Probably <laughs> thinks that's just going to be put out because they don't want to stop working on it. It's, but the weirdest thing about that game is the way they're pitching it now, as opposed to with the way they were pitching it back in the day, it just sounds like uh, um, the rare game, um, the rare pirate game. Sea of Thieves? Sea of Thieves. It just sounds like they're doing Sea of Thieves, which I mean, it, sure, people like that game, but okay, mm-hmm. it took you this long to get there? <laughs> but yes, you're right. Ubisoft had quite a weird year, uh, but um, not as weird as some other companies, but we'll get that. You know, part of me, conspiracy hat theory here, wonders if they've been trying to get the One Piece license this entire time, no. just to slap a logo on it. No, because they do have it, and they made a One Piece game last year, and nobody played it. <laughs> so, it's not. 
And last big story in January, Naughty Dog co-president Neil Druckmann, or as he is in the games, Dr. Uckman, has said the studio has decided to move on from the Uncharted series and could do the same with The Last of Us. Uh, Should it decide not to proceed with a third mainline entry into the series, as The Last of Us Part 2 is now getting a re-release, remake? Yes, yes. That is getting a remaster early next year. Remaster. That's what it is, remaster. And yeah, and so yeah, um, I mean, this story makes sense. Um, I think creatives of all stripes and all kinds of art don't want to be stuck and pigeonholed making the same thing all their lives. As successful as Uncharted had been for them and as successful as The Last of Us is still for them, I think they just want to do something else, try something new. They want to always be moving that bar forward. And I think staying with The Last of Us as a franchise forever is not how you do that. I mean, we also had a huge pandemic in 2020, which people lived through. So, Plus, they have the new um, The Last of Us TV series, which got renewed for a second season. And uh, the less that I need, uh, the less uh, Neil Druckmann uh, making metaphors for uh, for Israel and Palestine, the better I'm at. So maybe less Last of Us going on. Anyways, <laughs> anyways, as then we moved on into February, where that unannounced Titanfall game said to have been canceled by Electronic yeah. Arts uh, was being actually repackaged, repurposed as a single player experience for Apex Legends. Hey. Remember that Apex Legends is still a thing? Apex Legends is still a thing. They're getting a Final Fantasy VII crossover event, in fact. (laughs) Uh, We also had the original Metroid Prime devs being uh, criticizing the remaster for being omitted from the credits, which Nintendo would then go back and add them back in in a patch. Yeah, this is kind of a recurring theme with video games over the last few years is credits not being able to credit literally everyone involved. They're hard to do, I'm sure, but still, there's a reason why you'd want to be in credits. You want to be able to prove that you worked on something, especially if you're looking for another job, which often in the video game industry, you are. So yeah, it's it's important that they get, in, uh, that they, they get to be part of that credits and get that credit. For being there. Um, and so, yeah, just video game developers need to think more about this. Uh, and speaking of credits, a uh, game that you played a lot of, and we will talk about later, Hi-Fi Rush. Yes. Uh, the creator of the studio, Tango Gameworks, is leaving. Uh, Shinji Mikami announced that he would be leaving the studio after his works on Evil Within, uh, Ghostwire Tokyo, and the aforementioned Hi-Fi Rush completed yeah. earlier this year. It was kind of a big deal considering we this year also saw a remake of probably his biggest achievement, Resident Evil 4, um, when he was at Capcom. And so, yeah, like to see him kind of exit the industry uh, was kind of a moment. Um, he's definitely made an impact, though. I mean, just that sheer list right there just shows you he's worked on a lot of really important stuff. Uh, and so, yeah, who knows what he'll do next? Who knows? Um Odds are, I mean, I would say just retire, but <laughs> odds are um, start your own studio. You know, people don't just retire anymore. No, they start a new <laughs> project. They get bored. Always. Always. <laughs> Speaking of people getting bored, Pokemon <laughs> Company yeah, in March announced uh, that they would be doing their DLC for Pokemon Scarlet and Violet. And we got the names for it. 
uh, Hidden Treasure of Area Zero, Part 1, The Teal Mask, and The Hidden Treasure of Area Zero, Part 2, The Indigo Disc, uh, which The Teal Mask would come out later in the year, and The Indigo Disc is, I think, next year, right? Uh, so actually, it is soon, because I believe they just put a trailer out uh, for the new one. Uh, but yes, I thought, the previous... I thought that was January. Maybe it is January. Regardless, they put a trailer out. Uh, <laughs> and also, January is soon, by the way. I don't know if you realize this. It's, it's a couple of weeks. <laughs> uh, so yeah, uh, the w- thing I'll say about these is the thing I've been saying about this, is that the DLC is not appealing to me until they actually fix Scarlet and Violet. Like, they're still games that run terribly. They're still games that look not so good. Make sure that the game that it's running on works before you put out DLC for it, is my advice. They did not heed my advice, however, and put them out anyways. So, yeah, we'll see. Uh, I have no, uh, I have no, like, uh, desire uh, to play the no desire uh, to play it, but yeah, I, have, I have no faith or confidence in Nintendo to uh, to make Game Freak put out a DLC that fixes the original game. And so, thus, I don't think I'm going to play them. Well, because you got to wait for what, Maroon, Scarlet, and uh, what, Rocky Violet, whatever yeah. they named those things. Pokemon Maroon uh, uh, Taylor version, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, anyways, uh, speaking of games that have been delayed, uh, Warner Brothers has delayed Rocksteady's Suicide Squad to the second half of 2023. But even <laughs> then, we just got a trailer. Yes. Announced that it would be for 2024. Yeah. Uh, another game. This will be a recurring theme of uh, this year, which is talking about service games or games as a service and talking about whether mm-hmm. or not they're worth it having around. Well, Suicide Squad was, I feel, a breaking point for a lot of people where footage came out of this thing and people were like, uh, I don't want to play this. And thus they delayed it um, and then delayed it again. And so, yeah, when that thing finally comes out, how much of a service game will it be is kind of the question now because of how much they, they feel like they've been burned on this game. But we'll see next year. Yeah, that initial footage uh, that came out, people were very questionable on it. Um, wondering, like, is this really truly a Rocksteady game that they're going to put out this year? Yeah. But we'll get to some terrible games that got put out later. Uh, but first, before we get there, uh, Blizzard did acknowledge the long queues and wait times when it released Diablo 4 beta. Yes. The beta version. Yeah, that was the first taste a lot of people got of Diablo 4, and the year kind of was an up-and-down roller coaster ride for that game. I think initially people liked what they played, uh, but those long server load times were kind of annoying and kept a lot of people from enjoying it. Then when the game actually came out, like I think some people really liked it. I really enjoyed it, for sure. Um, but then kind of support just dropped off, and a lot of people just completely abandoned it. So by the time that they started doing the seasons of like new content, it just didn't seem like there was a big conversation about it anymore. Uh, people kind of left that game high and dry. And um, I don't know. I don't know what happened. I honestly don't know happened, what happened there with Diablo 4. I mean, it also didn't help that this year's games releases was just obscene. Yeah, just yeah one banger after another kind of stole the spotlight, I think, in a lot of ways, for sure. Yeah, we'll get there at the end, though. We will. 
Uh, and lastly, in March, uh, we had Valve officially announcing Counter-Strike 2 ahead of the game's release um, this past summer, which will arrive as a free upgrade to Counter-Strike colon Global Offensive. Yeah, I feel like the announcement of Counter-Strike 2 is a bigger deal than the actual release of Counter-Strike 2. That game's out, you can play it, uh, yeah. but just nobody is talking about it because Counter-Strike is a very niche community now, and it's very popular in that community. Uh, so yeah, if you probably ask a Counter-Strike player, they'll tell you all sorts of things what they think about Counter-Strike 2, but anyone else will just draw a blank. Yes, we already can't just call it CSGO anymore. It's well, that's the CS2. old one. That's the, old, that's the one. old one. Yeah, I, it's not even playable. It got replaced. It's yeah. upgraded. Gone. Done. Uh, <laughs> what Blizzard did to Overwatch 2. You can't play it. It's true. Well, unless you have the disc for it. Yeah. No, because you can't consent for the servers. No, it's an online-only game. <laughs> yep. Uh, speaking of things going online-only in April, we announced that E3 yes. would be canceled. And Good segue. Thus, online... Um, yeah. releases and news announcements happening in I mean, June. I think that this time they didn't have the pandemic to blame. I think this time it was just they had made that deal with Reed Pop, the company that ran PAX, mm-hmm. didn't come together in time. It came in too hot. And they just decided, well, no, no one wants to be here anyways. So they just kind of handed all of all of the uh the 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 event over to Jeff Keeley and Summer Games Fest happened instead. And now Summer Games Fest continues to happen because yeah. I <laughs> I don't think that's that one's going away. I think we've, E3's yeah. officially been replaced now. I think so. That's okay. They still have CES in, at the beginning of the year. That, that's not really a video game event. It hasn't been since 1994. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see here. Also in April, we had uh, the Warner Brothers game Multiverses. Uh, where you can fight using the different players from Warner Brothers IP, being removed from all digital storefronts as developer Player First Games prepares for its relaunch next year. Yeah, this was a weird one. This was like surprised a lot of people who liked playing multiverses, uh, but they just decided, eh, no, we're just going to take it off until we fix it and make it better, and then we'll put it back up some undetermined time. Did it ever come back up? I did not. I don't not. think so. I don't think so, right? Maybe next year, I guess? No, because I'm thinking of the Nickelodeon Brawlers yes. yeah, that came out with a, season, not with a second one. Not to be confused with the not-free-to-play, full-price product, Nickelodeon All-Star Brawl 2, which is the sequel to that game that came out this year. That did come out, and that is not free-to-play. Yes. Um, let's see. We also had... Media Molecule, the company behind Dreams and Little Big Planet, deciding that it would end support for Dreams on September 1st. And yeah. that had a big effect of people rushing to play Dreams. PlayStation finally made it free to play yeah. for what I think like two months before it got officially um, yeah. ending support. Technically, you can still play Dreams, there's just no further support for it. Yeah, I think that, like we talked about back when we reported this, I think the two major missteps they made was, like you said, one, not making it a free platform fast enough. I think if they had pitched that um, after, you know, after maybe selling it for a little bit as a free-to-play thing that you could buy things for, I think it would have found its audience 
and it would have been a bigger audience. And two, not just porting it to PlayStation 5 properly. The PS4 version of that game is the only version that ever existed. And also not putting it on PC was a missed opportunity, especially considering that that game, those games tools would be a lot easier with the mouse. So (laughs) just a mishandled product uh, in a lot of ways. And I feel like dreams could have been a way bigger event if they had just managed to treat it like that. I mean, people put some interesting and amazing content on dreams. They did. But the price of entry just kept a lot of people from getting in there. And lastly, in April, uh, Capcom and Niantic are deciding to team up for a new mobile game based on Monster Hunter. So this happened, and it was called Monster Hunter Now, and it's done pretty well for them so far. Um, mm-hmm. It's actually one of their last product projects uh, that they were able to launch before they ended up canceling a bunch of other Niantic's uh, live games. So yeah, um but yeah, Monster Hunter Now is out. It's a success and is kind of hyping people up for the new proper Monster Hunter game that is coming out in 2025. Yes, because that one just got announced. Yes. Uh, to here. Then we move on into May, and we had uh, Xbox boss Phil Spencer apologizing for the launch date of its latest big first-party game release, Redfall, and claimed that developer Arcane Austin... We'll work on improvements for the game. Oh, Redfall. What a disappointment. Um, I think the interesting thing about Redfall is, is that people love that developer's games. It had a unique mm-hmm. concept. It seemed like it was going to come out of the gate and people were going to love it. It just had too many technical issues. The gameplay was just not that interesting. The story was barely there. It just came out half-baked. It came out feeling unfinished. And so, yeah, Microsoft having to get in front of that and basically apologize uh, was a big event for Microsoft in a year that was huge for Microsoft. Uh, so, yeah, uh, not a great not a great moment. But they did end up working on it. And from what I understand, the update that came out a couple months ago did fix some things, uh, including how it ran. Uh, so maybe try it again but i wouldn't recommend it i think the mm. bones underneath all those technical issues are still broken enough that maybe you don't want to bother still isn't this also the first story that we have this year of frame rate being locked by the developer yes so that was kind of a theme that came up later again with starfield's release uh mm-hmm. but yeah uh they couldn't quite get a uh performance mode running properly on the xbox series x um so they did not put it out i believe and the pc one was the only way you could play at 60 frames um yeah i don't know why microsoft is making those uh decisions but they are i mean stuff like that is what prohibited one of the biggest games of the year baldur's gate 3 from even coming out on the xbox so (laughs) until like recently i think um so yeah um not great look uh, yeah, and then also in May, we also had uh, Ubisoft letting go of 60 employees without any advance notice or warning. Yeah, it's um, part of their weird-ass year, for sure. Yeah. We also had Warner Brothers announce a sequel to Mortal Kombat, or a reboot to Mortal Kombat, or a <laughs> remake to Mortal Kombat, as they announced Mortal Kombat 1. They're all reboots at this point. Um, yeah, so that came out later in the year. Um, made kind of a less less of a splash than a lot of people thought it did. 
<laughs> in a year kind of dominated by Street Fighter 6, it was kind of hard to be any other fighting game. And I think Mortal Kombat found out. Uh, and then the first of <laughs> terrible games to be released. Uh, developer Daedalic. Daedalic? Daedalic. Daedalic. Daedalus. Daedalus. <laughs> Daedalus. Exactly. Daedalus yeah. is the um, Greek tragedy. So Daedalic. Yeah. Daedalic. Entertainment. Which it is obvious like because Daedalus. this is a tragedy. A tragedy in its, in its own way, yes. You're right. Yes. Uh, has apologized for delivering what it calls an underwhelming experience <laughs> for putting out the Lord of the Rings, colon, Gollum. I feel like underwhelming experience is, uh, is underselling it just a tad. Yeah, uh, people hated Lord of the Rings Gollum. I don't know why they made it the way they did. It looked ugly. It played bad. Apparently, it was a stealth game uh, that just played awful. Uh, it was just, yeah, it really landed with the thud and really proved that uh, you can only really make certain kinds of Lord of the Rings games. Maybe don't make a game all about Gollum. Um, so yeah, it kind of became the, a running joke throughout the rest of the year. Well, I mean, it's also a game that was centered underneath the mountain, so you're already limiting mm-hmm. your space, yeah. and your light sources aren't coming from natural light to all those fires. Uh, but yeah, yeah, no. When you, when your main character only has three options available, yeah, uh, the, the, and one of them is jump. <laughs> although the saddest part about this is that yes, unfortunately, this did do. Daedalic in, and they ended up basically saying by the end of the year that they will no longer be doing game development. Not just the end of the year, within the, the following month. The month? Okay. Uh, in July. There you go. In July, uh, the developer Daedalic ended internal development to yeah. focus only on publishing. Oh, well. Well. Anyway, at least we still have Golem. Anyways. Anyways, we skipped June there, so let's... We're going to take a couple back sets back to June, where Nintendo had explained why it took action <laughs> to block upcoming Steam, block the upcoming Steam release of the popular GameCube and Wii emulator, Dolphin. Yeah, there was an alternate timeline almost where we had a Steam version of Dolphin available to everybody, but Nintendo mm-hmm. shut it down. So, of course, this is just ch- chapter, you know, 106 in... The story of Nintendo versus emulators. They just don't believe in them. They think that they're a route to piracy. And so as long as they have the say, they will prohibit them from existing. That's not to say you can't still get Dolphin. You just have to download it from their website. So let that be a PSA to you. Yes. Go direct to supplier. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, we also had uh, Blizzard announcing that Diablo 4 was the fastest selling game ever for them yeah i mean yeah it sold really really well initially um it's diablo of course it's going to mm-hmm. uh and also in june madden nfl 24 the upcoming release currently out now ahead of that release announced that it would feature for the first time ever cross play across consoles yeah a neat idea uh just so that way if you have an x bro and a playstation guy in your friend group, you can finally uh, have your Super Bowl uh, uh, face-off. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, yeah. It only took, what, 1,500 other games to figure that out first? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Madden, you know, like they, they, they crawl to the, the trends. They don't, they don't run to them. crawls to the trends. <laughs> All right. 
then we get into July. I just realized I could have made a brotherly shove joke just then, but yes, yeah, too late. <laughs> too late. We're moving on to <laughs> July, um, where Annapurna Studio it opened internal de- an internal development studio with its first project being Blade Runner twenty thirty three colon Labyrinth. And this is kind of a, a one-two punch. First, you get Annapurna uh, to do uh, like deciding, hey, why not just do some internal development here and uh, you know start making games that we can own that, that we are proud of that we made instead of just mm-hmm. being on a publisher arm. That's cool. And then the second half of this, why not make a no- new Blade Runner game in kind of like the time where the iron is hot with Cyberpunk 2077's reboot and DLC this year being a huge deal? It makes sense. Why not push a Blade Runner game through? And the footage they showed did look kind of neat. So this could be cool. It's also set in 2033, which is before Blade Runner 2079 or whatever that was. Uh, 2049. 29? 2049. Yeah. yeah. So prequel to yeah. see young Ryan Gosling or someone. <laughs> young, young, young goose. Young, young goose. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and lastly, in July... Um, the sad news where the black armband moment of silence for <laughs> Xbox Live Gold as it would be no more come September. Yeah, they fully replaced it with a lighter version of Game Pass instead of just the full thing, Game Pass Ultimate. You can now be Game Pass Core, which is the equivalent mm-hmm. to the Live Gold service. Uh, you just get less, uh, fewer Game Pass games that you can download. Uh, but yep. hey, Sure, this makes sense. Xbox Live as a brand meant a lot to them back in the 360 days, but ultimately, it's not the face of the brand anymore. It's Game Pass now, and they're really they're trying to focus on that. Um, so yeah, this made sense. It was a it was a good move for them to make. However, still waiting for that family version of the Game Pass to to launch Microsoft. Remember when you announced that that was going to happen? <laughs> Where is it? Anyways. Anyways, in August, Microsoft also announced that they would be closing down the Xbox 360 store altogether next year. So, continuation of that story, just as you mentioned, Xbox Live, Xbox 360, kind of going away from X- from Microsoft's current strategy and mm. shifting sole focus to Game Pass. Yeah. Makes sense. Uh, yep. But also in July, we had the release of a big game for Nintendo. One of their big games, actually. Because they had two this year. Uh, The Legend of Zelda, colon, Tears of the Kingdom. Which ended up driving a record quarter for Nintendo Switch. With the company confirming that it sold 18.5 million units of the game as of the end of June. Damn. So, yeah. Big heavy hitter for Nintendo. Which, wait, did you play that game? Uh, I think you played the demo for it. I have it written down as you playing it. Did I? (laughs) Because I know I didn't. Wait, did I play it? No. No, I don't remember if I played it. It's written down as one of us playing it. Zelda? Yeah. Tears of the Kingdom. Yeah, I played. I played it a little bit. I played like an hour. You game flight it, right? Yeah. It, so I didn't play Breath of the Wild. Is the thing, and so mm-hmm. I kind of didn't. Um, 
I wasn't coming to it with that context. I was coming to it completely fresh. It just didn't click with me, but also I didn't get out of the first like tutorial area. And so I'm thinking that if I had really just forced myself to just keep going on it, maybe it would have worked for me. But I feel like I struggle a lot with games that are not just like, here's your thing that you need to do, go do it. And whereas this was a little bit more open-ended, it kind of gave me like a vague idea of like, I don't know, get over there. And I was like, well, how do I get over there? And what you're supposed to do is enjoy the process of discovering how. I was not enjoying the process of discovering how enough to want to play it more. So I ended up just returning it. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I understand why a lot of people love these games and why this game was really important to a lot of people. And I don't disparage that. Like, I see the craft in there. Um, however, it will not be on our top fives. <laughs> just letting people know inexplicably. <laughs> we just happen to be that cross section that just, it's just unfortunately not for us. Uh, yeah, because I didn't play it. I didn't even play Breath of the Wild. Um, I think the only Zelda game I completed, sorry, the most recent Zelda game that I've completed is uh Ocarina of Time for the 3DS, and that was 12 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> so, some that's wait, is that 12 years ago? No, 10 years ago. Wow, yeah, well, time Ocarina, I mean, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, that's not to say at all of Zelda. I loved the Zelda games mm-hmm. uh, when I was younger. I mean, Legend of Zelda Wind Waker is one of my favorite games ever, but like, I just feel like when it was a more linear experience, it was a little easier for me to latch on to it. When I'm given a lot more freedom, I think I get intimidated. And I think I get kind of that analysis paralysis about like, well, what do I need to do? How do I do it the best way possible? Especially with Tears of the Kingdom, where so much of that mechanic is build your way out of puzzles, like Mm -hmm. figure out a way to create something yourself to solve something. I'm just like, Ah, I kind of don't want to do that. Just tell me what to do. <laughs> just give me a challenge and I'll surmount it. So I'm just, yeah, I'm just not built for the kind of thing that Tears of the Kingdom expects of me. But, yeah, that's why I like watching people speed run it. Exactly. Where I don't have to pay attention to the story. I can just watch them do crazy stuff. But yes, congratulations to Nintendo for putting that thing out. Seems amazing. The people who love it really love it and yeah uh it seems like a classic it seems like a like a modern classic so good job (laughs) and lastly in august we had sony announce and provide more details on remote play handheld device which would become known as playstation portal that thing is out now you can get it you can buy it you can stream your games to it then that's literally literally all you can do uh so yeah it seems like a really niche product we don't need to talk about it again how it doesn't make any sense but yes it exists if you want it 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 makes sense for families and homes that have a single tv yeah and so if you want to play your games but you can't view it because someone's using the tv so aka this is number one on your christmas list is that what you're saying i'm not saying it you said it But I have seen a lot of people post mm-hmm. that, hey, this is exactly what it's used for, where you have right. your kid watching TV. Exactly. No, or you right. have the game or on. Or your significant other like wants to watch like something that you're not interested in, and you can just hop on the portal. It makes sense. There is a use mm-hmm. case. I'm not saying there's no use case for it. I'm just saying that they could have at least let you do other things with it, especially in 2023 when a lot of the portable landscape is dominated by talk about the Steam Deck and the ROG Ally and these Lenovo devices. These are devices that basically take the entire PC experience of gaming and put them in your hands. With the portal, 
priced very close to those devices and not doing half of what they can do, not even mm-hmm. a quarter of what they can do, it's embarrassing almost to a certain point that they're make that they're they're putting that thing out so bare bones. That's ah, kind of yes, where I'm coming. You can run a PlayStation game off that on the sure portal. Place- well, what if I told you? There's probably ways you could run stream your PlayStation games to those devices too. And then they also do all sorts of other things. Yeah, because you know, there's like a remote play PlayStation app that can be downloaded and used. Almost as well. like that, yes. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Almost mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Makes you mm-hmm. think. Mm-hmm. Uh yeah, just think about where you spend your money, folks. Is that's my advice. Anyways. Anyways. Uh then we get, let's get to September, where speaking of PlayStation, Roblox yes. and being behind the curve finally came yeah. to PlayStation consoles. It sure did, and it made a splash as soon as it got there, uh, yeah. with like a, like a huge number of concurrent users. Yeah, it turns out kids love Roblox. I don't know if you know that. Yeah, they're like Legos, but digital, mm-hmm. and it's not Minecraft or yeah. uh, Fortnite. Or actual <laughs> Legos like there that are in Fortnite now. Yes, we'll actual Lego Fortnite. We'll get there. Uh, and um, so you also had uh, exactly one year to the day. Since Volition released Saints Row, Volition had been will be shut down. Had been will be continued to be shut down, <laughs> effective immediately in September. Yeah, sad, uh, honestly, uh, yeah. because the Saints Row games were good when they were good. Three and four are some of the best open world games that I played. Uh, they're a blast. Their sense of humor was great. I even liked that reboot that they put out. Uh, like that was a good time. A lot of people kind of dismissed it but i thought once they fixed the bugs that it was actually a pretty solid experience underneath all of the all of the uh millennial posturing uh but yeah i Hmm. think it's an okay game and it's really sad to see them get cut off like this and not being able to make a follow-up that could have been better could have improved on that concept even more even more or at least give them up the opportunity to do something new but no unfortunately they don't get any opportunities anymore and we have to say goodbye to volition which is very sad Yes, officially shut down um, uh, end date 2023. Um, Thing that's something that doesn't have an end date yet, but damn it, did it sure try to have its own end date. (laughs) Unity uh, said it would be making changes to its controversial install fee plan following the huge backlash from game developers. Yeah. I mean, yes, this was a shit show uh, for Unity. They decided to introduce some new, really draconian measures to make money off of their users, and the users rioted, and really, it became the story for like at least two or three weeks, where it was just all these developers coming out to decry Unity and talk about how like they were moving to other platforms or changing their development strategy or just completely not even being able to exist because of these new requirements. Mm -hmm. It was going to just be too expensive for these very small developers who can't afford that kind of fee. Uh, And so, yeah, it was just a disaster. And I think Unity's name is now forever tarnished. They will never be able to get that clout with developers back that they had before this announcement happened. Well, they still, I mean, they did walk back their uh, modernization A little bit. A little but bit, they still not. kept the tier pricing yeah. though for bigger game releases. It's not enough. They've lost because the biggest battle they lost was the trust, the trust of these developers that work with them. Mm-hmm. And without the trust, they're not going to. How are they going to take anything that Unity says anytime soon? Seriously, they can't. 
No, they cannot. Um, yeah. I mean, it's funny when that for that moment in September, tons of games came out saying, we're ending support. We're taking right. this game off. You can't get this game by the end of the year with this cake's effect. Yeah. And they were serious. I mean, that's yeah. the thing is that that's kind of make or break for them to exist as a developer. And Unity needs to be there to help and assist with that, not actively hinder it. And this is what they were doing here. Unfortunately. Uh, speaking of things that are unfortunate, in October, Epic Games, unfortunately, laid off around 16% of its workforce. Yeah, as part of the ongoing layoffs throughout the year, uh, it sucked that we kind of had these parallel stories of the games are as great as ever. And then also the business is the worst it's ever been. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, Epic's uh, layoffs reflected this. This is also what led to the uh, sale of Bandcamp, which we talked about in the music section. Uh, so this is even has parallels to other industries also going through the same kind of tumultuous layoffs. Um, so yeah, uh, just lousy, lousy stuff if you're a game developer in this business. Oh, but don't worry. Record profits. <laughs> uh -huh, mm -hmm. Yeah. Wonder where mm -hmm. that money is going. It really makes you think. Yeah. Uh-huh. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. right, uh, speaking of things that are record and yeah. unfortunate, Sony Interactive Entertainment CEO, and President Jim Ryan announced that he would step down from his position. Yeah, end of an era, I think, for PlayStation. Um, he was kind of the guy for the PS5 launch and PS4, kind of late PS4 before that. He was uh, a mixed, uh, I feel like people have mixed feelings about Jim Ryan. I think that he did a lot of interesting things with the PlayStation brand, but at the same time, he also seemed like he didn't quite understand a lot of fans, especially when it came to um emulating older games it just seems like something he just didn't understand the value of um but he will still have a lasting in impact on the division um i mean it's his uh it was his decision to lean towards the service game stuff which is still in progress over there at sony and he also spearheaded the launch of stuff like playstation vr both iterations and the uh, most recent relaunch of the portal so there's still jim ryan headed stuff but it will be interesting to see what happens when a new person is at the helm and what that does to change or adjust the trajectory of the PlayStation brand. Yeah. Uh, with his last parting gift, though, um, Sony did announce the new smaller PlayStation 5 model, which will be available in both digital and standard editions. Yeah. As well as a removable disk drive. Yeah, it's got that detachable disk drive, which is an interesting concept. They should have just done that in the first place, probably. Right. Uh, but honestly, it seems like it's not that much smaller. Like, so I don't know uh, if it's really worth the slim name. Um, mm. But hey, that's up to them, I guess. Uh, and also speaking of layoffs from Epic, Destiny maker Bungie um, was the latest Sony Interactive Entertainment Studio to be hit with layoffs. Yeah, again, sad to see, especially with a company that ostensibly was the core of their service games operation at Sony and just to completely dismantle their staff is a bad look. Um, and yeah, it was sad to see the company that used to be like one of the biggest players in video games can kind of just cut at the knees because they couldn't make quite enough money as they planned on on the Destiny expansions. Whereas Electronic Arts made too much money at FIFA and they had to give it back as um, they 
essentially lost the FIFA license, yes. put out EA Football Club instead. Right. But when they did that, they also delisted the entire FIFA back catalog from digital storefronts for consoles and PC. Yeah, this was probably just a matter of licensing. They had to pull all of the games that had the FIFA license since they don't have it anymore. They can't mm-hmm. legally release those games or sell those games. So this was bound to happen. Yeah. Uh, speaking of things, uh, games that shouldn't have been released, the King Kong game got, was released and went viral due to its unusually poor graphics. And even one player went as far as to label it as a quote-unquote complete scam. <laughs> so you had to pay $50 for it. <laughs> I, the best joke I saw about this King Kong game on Twitter, I'll give credit to... Uh, uh, fandom correspondent and occasional giant bomb host um uh bailey myers for this one she said in the king kong game king kong cannot take fall damage which i feel like is not canon (laughs) so just thought that was good uh but yeah this game apparently sucks i don't know if it was as bad as Gollum. um maybe but yeah uh don't don't buy it don't buy that game Well, it was a weird game because, like, you started off as a King Kong, but mm-hmm. by the time you played the actual game, you were a different version of King Kong, and uh, size apparently is very relative to to whatever the developers need you to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as King Kong is both thirty feet himself, or yeah, three stories tall, but also trees are five times his height. <laughs> When they need to be. <laughs> sure. Why not? Giant ass trees. <laughs> uh, and then we get into um, November here, uh, which we recently talked about with Legend of Zelda <laughs> yes. getting a live action film. Right. Fortnite having its own 24 hour success of doing the Fortnite OG event. Mm-hmm. Uh former Forza boss, Alan Hartman, being appointed as head of Xbox Game Studios. Yes, after the departure of Matt Booty, who unfortunately we don't get to say his name anymore. Sad. No, no, he's not rocking everywhere. (laughs) Uh, And uh, we also had, continuing the trend of uh, layoffs, 505 Games owner Digital Bros announced plans to cut 30% of its workforce. Yeah. Uh, but hey, at least the VGAs were here as we get into December, yes. and they literally just happened. So, your official, unofficial, uh, game of the year, Baldur's Gate three. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. Congratulations. Um, your D and D like campaign was a massive success. People yeah. liked your story. People liked all the different options you could oh, yeah. do in it. Huge, huge, huge game. Uh, and yeah, uh, well, yeah, the VGA is here. I mean, we'll talk more about it on the podcast that will be recorded on Tuesday. Uh, but yes, uh, the real story of the games were less about the awards or the awards were less about the awards and more about how the awards were presented. But again, mm-hmm. if you want to hear us talk about more about that, tune in on Tuesday. Yep, we'll get more into it. And lastly, uh, in December news, I guess, <clears throat> Unity announced that it would close Weta Digital, 
the VFX software company, which was connected to Weta FX. Yeah. It's a weird choice, right. but yeah. I guess they got to do what they got to do. So we kind of need to pick a story then. Uh, I think you missed something. Uh, there's something that kind of was happening throughout the year uh, that you have not mentioned one time. And I think that uh, we need to mention it. You mean the big $69 billion elephant in the yes. room? The $69 billion elephant in the room. Yes, we're talking All about, right. of course, the story of the year. We don't even have to debate about it. No, <laughs> no it's getting don't. its own section right here. No. Purposely missed yes. uh, throughout the entire year Microsoft, because we yes. talked about this thing constantly. Yes, the Microsoft $69 billion, nice, uh, uh, purchase of Activision Blizzard. King, don't forget about King. Uh, yes. yes, so this was a recurring story throughout the entire calendar year. Yes, it has its seeds at the end of last year when they announced the buyout, but uh, it took them the entire calendar year to do it. It was originally supposed to close in the summer. It didn't make it in the summer because of litigation, both from the UK and here in the US. Um, there was some strong opposition um, from all sides, whether it be Sony kind of making pot shots at them for, as a rival or from governments being like, well, trying to prohibit a possible monopoly on video game. Um, ultimately, what happened was is that the cases weren't strong enough. It didn't quite convince, uh, like Microsoft was unable to really like seem like the villain that they wanted to paint them as. A lot of it came down to cloud streaming rights, which a compromise was made in the UK by forcing Ubisoft of all companies to be involved in the cloud distribution for cloud streaming, at least in the UK, for Microsoft's titles. So that was kind of the one concession that I think pushed it over the edge. Once Microsoft made that deal, it seemed like it was inevitable and the dominoes just kind of fell from there. So the question then is, what? why is this important? What does this potentially mean? So one, it's the biggest deal in video game history. In fact, the biggest deal in media history, as far as I know, $69 billion. I think that nothing's come this high. The Zeddy Max deal was $72 billion. For some reason, I thought this was bigger. There's no way that Zeddy Max was more. I think Zeddy Max was more like in the 40s. But anyways, um, so I believe it set a record uh, for that right there. And then two... It has a huge impact just to just to, in the fact that how big of a company Activision has been. Once upon a time, they were bigger than EA. Uh, they were the preeminent third party when they were making you know hand over yeah. money, hand over fist with Tony Hawk, then Guitar Hero, and then of course Call of Duty. Uh, like they just seemed like they were this invincible third party force. Um, that slowed was... though when they realized with oh yeah, did you look up the number? Yes, I was. I had the decimal place in the wrong spot. It's not seventy-five million. Seven point seven point five million. million. Yeah, big difference. Billion. Big billion. Difference, billion yes. dollars. Yes. So yeah, um, I think that the problem with Activision is that they had set themselves up for being too big, almost too big to fail in a way, kind of like where they needed to be bailed out by getting bought from another company. They put all their eggs in one basket, the Call of Duty basket, and only mm-hmm. had the occasional small success around it. You do recall that they did release re-releases of the Crash Bandicoot games and the Tony Hawk games to some critical acclaim and some sales success, but it wasn't big enough for them. They relied so much on Call of Duty to be the biggest game of every single year that they were just, that's all they were doing. They became the Call of Duty studio and nothing else. 
Microsoft buying them at least is interesting considering that it gives other Activision uh, uh, IP and franchises to see the light of day again. We could easily see a lot of those older Activision titles get revived here, which was not going to happen anytime soon under Bobby Kotick. Oh yeah, Bobby Kotick. We should probably mention that he's in the mix here. <laughs> Um, he will be ending his tenure, actually, with Activision at the end of this year. Um, so we can finally say goodbye to Mr. Moneyball himself, which is a nice thing to see. Uh, but yeah, I think overall, it's a big story just because of the sheer momentum of it. Microsoft can now call the shots when it comes to Activision properties. They have sworn up and down that Call of Duty will remain a multi-platform franchise. But everything else, though... We've seen what they've done with the Zenimax uh, Bethesda stuff. They will probably move a lot of those things to be first-party exclusives. And why not? They have the power to do so. And then the other half of this is that, yes, the King purchase means that they can now make their inroads into mobile. They already said last week in a story that we reported that they're going to start working on a mobile platform store that you can buy games on. They can make mobile games based on Microsoft properties. Uh, now, like, they'll probably start turning those in and turning those turning those out as soon as next year i would not be surprised if you start seeing a big push towards mobile so just just had a big brighten moment of microsoft buying activision king here using the king part for mobile and at the same time as we talked about last year apple and um epic in their storefront property of uh, lawsuit, which I think was our story of the year last year. Yes, uh, basically it was just epic and just them. Um, it was dominating everything, um, and essentially winning that lawsuit and forcing mm. Apple to allow stores to appear on Apple <laughs> devices. Right. That now I can see with this purchase, Microsoft storefront with Microsoft yes. Games and Microsoft Game Pass. Yeah, all of that coming to all mobile devices now. It really makes you wonder whether that Apple monopoly that we've seen kind of stand uncontested for a very long time on that ecosystem. Microsoft might be the company that could possibly actually fight that. Like they're Mm -hmm. the biggest name so far that's thrown their hat into this ring. I think they have an advantage, Uh, but we'll see. It's also not their first time throwing their hat into the mobile arena. I mean, yes, they've been there, done that a couple of times and it didn't work out too well for them before. But yes, it's interesting nonetheless. And yeah, I think that this has to be the story of the year because beyond all of the successes and failures, there was one thing that we kept returning to over and over and over and over and over again. And I think one thing that also will affect the next five years, 10 years, who knows, of video games more than we even think that it will. Like this changes the landscape in a lot of ways. So at least the next 10 years because microsoft did make the deal with sony that they would keep call of duty multi-platform for for the next 10 years but a lot can happen in 10 years yes (laughs) we'll see about that but yeah so that has to be i think the story of the year it's just it eclipses all else i mean yeah i mean combined some of our favorite stories which included um lost law um legal battles um (laughs) and the legal leaks that came out of it as well yeah uh, from all the court documents um one of the best ones being of uh starfield originally supposed to be a ps5 exclusive right and then they were going to be acquired yeah uh, oh well 
So, oh, yes. All right. Well, anyway, so there you go. Uh, 2023 story of the year, the Activision Blizzard buyout. Yep. I mean, it had to be. It had to be. <laughs> it was always going to be. All right. So <laughs> now that was. we've done that, it's time to move into the second half of the show where we talk about our top five favorite games of the year. Now, I believe, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, you went first on the music section. I definitely did, yes. So I will take the lead here and I'll start talking about my five favorite games of the year. Now, let's caveat here. Yes, These are caveat. games that we played. Well, your caveat is going to be different from my caveat. Okay. That's your caveat. My caveat is I played so many great games this year that it's almost sad that I wasn't able to include all of them because there are some really good experiences, games I played hours upon hours upon hours of that are not represented in this top five. For one reason or another. You can add it to the honorable mentions. Yeah, we'll mention the honorable mentions. But what I will start with is my number five game. And wow, what a banger. Literally. Literally. I didn't type it. Hold on. There we go. Hi-Fi Rush. So when this game came out, I expected this to be your number one by the end of the year. It was too strong of a year for that, unfortunately. However, I did really enjoy Hi-Fi Rush. It is a great game easily a contender for a game of the year and i think it is being kind of slept on in the end of the year lists um but if you just go back and hop into it it's like you get reminded all of a sudden it wave like a wave rushes over you and you're like oh that's right this game rules i mean it's just it's just, it combines a fun platforming game with music with a rhythm fighting style and with personality so much personality All the characters are fun, interesting, colorful. The transitions from animation to like animated cutscenes, they're really 3D, but it looks like animation, uh, to gameplay is almost seamless. The music choices are amazing. It feels like you're playing a music video every once in a while, which to me is like the ideal version of a video game. Um, And like, yeah, it's just like stellar like art design stellar writing it just seems like they put all combine all sorts of things into one and somehow put them in a blender and it ended up being a really cool fun experience i will say if number five on the list on the this list for a couple of minor reasons i think it's a hard game to jump back into just on uh if you play haven't played for a while because of the intricacy of the combo system so it does do better like you're going to have a better time with it if you kind of just cruise through it and keep keep at it as opposed to taking a long break from it and i will say that yeah being combo based ultimately makes the combat system a little get a little stale if you're not super into it but as long as you're focusing on the the rhythm part of it and really just getting into the groove of battling it can be a lot of fun and it's worth hanging out with those characters and enjoying that fun story uh because of like the vibes vibe first is this kind of is the approach that this game takes but yeah i had a lot of fun with high five rush you mean high vibe rush yeah maybe maybe that's what they should have called it but yeah so that's my number five moving on to number four resident evil Four remake uh, i mean remake's not in the official name but i will say that to clarify yeah, they put out Resident Evil 4 again, which is weird to say because they haven't they been doing this for the last 10 years? And yes, they have. But this time, they put a completely new engine behind it. They redid how it felt. They added a bunch of stuff on the, the sides. And ultimately, they just kept refining it 
and refining it and polishing and polishing until it's one of the best playing third person shooters I've ever played, period. This game rules. Like it's so fun. Every moment has you doing something new. Every moment has you doing something interesting. Like it takes what was already a great game and just makes it this well-oiled machine that just cannot like just the momentum just keeps you going all the way to the end. I never finished the original Resident Evil 4. I finished Resident Evil Remake because it was just so much fun to just keep going. And that's not even like half the game too because there's also a bunch of new multiplayer stuff. There's a VR mode that they're patching in for PSVR right now. There's so much on the edges too that they really spruced up. And they like made some adjustments to let make some of the story elements less embarrassing than they were the first time. I'm looking at you, Ashley, President's Daughter. Um, so yeah, it's a great refinement of one of the best games of all time, making this now, by default, one of the best games of all time. Just pure fun. Just pure fun. And yeah, anybody who's curious at all about the Resident Evil series, this is where to start. Start right here, Resident Evil 4 Remake. You'll have a blast. So to start with 4, then go to 5, then go mm. to Biohazard, no. then Village. No, I think start with 4, go to the remake of 2 that they made a few years ago, which is also very, very good. Then go maybe to the modern ones, uh, 7, 8. And then maybe dip yeah. your toes into This the is old definitely ones. a weird one on here for you because you don't really, one, play a lot of shooters, to play a lot of horror games either no and i think that that the it stands as a testament to just how fun of a game that this is is that it defies those genre expectations it is a survival horror game but it's a survival horror game by way of an action game it's so heavy on the action that you almost forget that it's supposed to be spooky and scary sometimes it does have its moments of jump scares but it's not the focus it tries to do other things and it reminds itself over and over again that it's a video game which is very important it doesn't try to be a cinematic experience. It is a game-ass game, and it revels in it. But hey, that's only number four but on your that's list. that's only number four. Somehow there were three other games uh, that surmounted it this year for me. Yeah, and... but with these next three games, I think they pretty much sum you up in a nice tight package. <laughs> <laughs> they do, don't they? I'd like to think yeah, that. Do. Number three is the Switch title Fashion Dreamer, and I bet if you, I will put a money bet down that I am the only person who has this in their top five in probably the world. Because I will take that money because <laughs> the amount of time you've mentioned playing that on a consistent basis of, hey, what have you been playing? Just more Fashion yeah. Dreamer. I Just still play Dreamer. Just for Bash every, Fashion Dreamer. Every day. It's still my everyday game uh, <laughs> since it came out. And uh, yeah, it's, it's so much fun. Um, it's so niche, though. And so what I will say is that I don't know if this sounds appealing to you, maybe give it a shot, but I don't think it will be what a lot of people are looking for. It's just a fashion design game. Really, it's a social fashion fashion design game, because what you're doing is you're essentially just dressing up people like you're dressing up yourself or you're dressing up strangers you meet online. And then you can take those clothes and there are some pattern work that you can do by just changing the colors of certain patterns and then putting them up for other people to use. And that's it. That's the entire game. I will say, though, since I talked about this last on the podcast, they did say they did announce new features that they're adding for a kind of on a seasonal basis. They were supposed to have launched the December challenge already. 
It did not launch on time because of technical issues they were experiencing, but it will add some sort of mission-based structure, um, like a seasonal mission thing that you've like quests to complete that will, I think, solve a lot of people's problems with this game, which is that there's not enough like direction. There's not enough directive like, oh, do this thing, design these clothes in this way, and then you'll like get a stamp or something. So that is coming. So they did not, like, they're not just ignoring the quotient of people who wanted that from Fashion Dreamer. That is coming, which means that this could eventually become an even more interesting package than it already is. But it's on my list because for what it is, I'm having a lot of fun with it. I love the feeling of putting out a, like, oh, I made these shoes that are red in the back. And then they have these like the, the the floral designs that are kind of like blues and greens. I put those on my like display. And the next day I log in and I get like a hundred plus likes from real people on the internet who saw it and wanted to add it to their inventories. It's a cool feeling. It makes you feel like you're an actual in like in real world influencer that's like actually making like changing what people's deciding, like influencing a trend being part of a trend it's really cool to have that feeling in a video game and have it so like be so aesthetically fun and like all these different clothes to like to sort and like experiment with in different different ways and it's really cool to have like design an outfit for somebody and the next day have them send a request to you to do another one because they enjoyed your outfit that they made that you made so much or they make you one because they appreciated it so much and they'll think you they send you a stamp that says thanks it's just a cool feeling to feel. It feels like you're part of a community, which is really neat. I feel like the way you keep describing it's like two steps shy of being an AI influencer or a VTuber. <laughs> I mean, it's not too far off from like designing for a VTuber when you think when you say it like that. But I think that the coolest thing about it is the potential it has. If they keep adding new features and do new things with it, it could be even better and even more enticing package and it could stick around. Uh, but yeah. But I will say it's not a perfect game. Um, I do want to mention that it does have some technical hiccups every once in a while, especially ones that apparently prohibit them from adding new features to the game, which does suck. Hopefully they'll figure it out. But yeah, um, like for what it is, I'm it's for me, it's fun enough and for me enough of an experience that I'm willing to take it at its technical bugs. So not for everybody, but turns out it was for me. But there's I mean, two other games. But there's two more. At number two, I have Super Mario Brothers Wonder. I mean, what do I need to say about this? It's like a Super Mario Brothers game in 2023. And somehow they made it one of the most bizarre, weird, exciting, fun, well, wondrous experiences that Mario, like games that Mario has ever been in. Like the sheer amount of imaginative, like new gameplay stuff in this game is just, it's just bursting at the seams with it. Almost every level of this game has a brand new thing that you haven't seen before, whether it be, oh shit, all of a sudden the perspective changes and I'm, and I'm like walking in kind of a two thirds perspective instead of a side scrolling platformer. Oh shit. All of a sudden I have to like stand on these stampeding animals as they go across the screen. And I got to make sure I jump right when I need to, to get the wonder seed or else I'm going to miss it. Or it could be like, oh shoot! Now all of a sudden, like the the like I'm upside down, or I'm floating in the air in a bubble, and I have to navigate this bubble. And this just happens when you least expect it. 
And so it just keeps surprising you over and over again. Like wonder is the name of this game for a reason. It's just that pure struck wonder every time you play because you don't know what to expect. And when it's happening, you just can't believe it's happening. So they took that. That's then that's only half of it. Because the other half of it is how accessible and how many options they give you in this game. They give you the option of playing a character that doesn't take hits like Yoshi. So that way, people who are not as experienced with 2D platformers can still have a good time. They include a badge system that lets you customize how you play each level even more like, like specifically. Like, hey, maybe you don't want to fall down a pit the first time every single time. There's a badge for that. Badge that bounces you right out of that pit gives you another try. Again, genius for beginner players. Or maybe it's a badge that lets you jump super high just so you get to that little tiny platform up there that you couldn't quite reach before. Stuff like that really makes it feel like you're making the game your own, that you take the reins. It's something similar that they did with Breath of the, uh, uh, not Breath of the Wild, Tears of the Kingdom too. It's just in a game that's more my speed. I think Nintendo's whole new MO is let's give the players the tools and let them decide what kind of experience they want to have with our games. And I think it's brilliant and I think it works. Clearly, we, you have, they put out two critically acclaimed games this year that both have the same philosophy and both are just amazing. Then on top of that, like the little cherry on the top, the online mode is just ingenious. They took cues from stuff like Dark Souls and stuff like uh, Death Stranding and let the feel again just like fashion dreamer feel like a community you're not playing these game the, these levels by yourself you're playing with all sorts of these ghost strangers that you encounter and they can revive you if you die they can even like they can even give you kind of pointers about where secrets are by like maybe going to a corner of the screen that you didn't even consider there was a platform there and sure enough if you go up there discover what they discover all of a sudden you have a thing that you didn't even know you that was there like that feeling that you can help each other out is seems like really small in the grand scheme of things but in a mario game like this it adds a layer to the experience that's never been there before so mario wonder easily a great addition to the mario canon it's such a fun game i didn't quite finish it but i might come back to it once i'm finally exhausted of the fashion dreamer which who knows if i'm ever going to get there <laughs> uh, but yes, uh, so yeah, it, it's just so much fun and easily, easily could have been my number one game of the year, but it's not. No, because unlike Super Mario Bros. Wonder, not quite a narrative game as <laughs> you would like. To be fair, I don't always pick narrative games as my number one. To be fair, you <laughs> like narrative driven games, though, because I, I like narrative driven games. Well, not, not because you, I like it, but you but, know what I mean. We both we, very we do, like, do. very much yeah. go toward narrative-driven games. But no, the game that had to take the crown this year was Goodbye Volcano High. I mean, from the moment I saw that first trailer on the PS5 launch uh, uh, stream that Sony did, uh, I knew that this game was made for me. I mean, it's a high school story. They're in a band. It's about the end of the world. I mean, the end of the world stuff is not really my my, my <laughs> thing. You coffee delivery. Um, and but like the, but the rest of it was just such a vibe. And the fact that it was all like essentially what appears to be two D animation. I think again with the three D kind of twist to it, just like Hi Fi Rush. Um, was just seemed like an impressive undertaking. And I wondered, like, is this thing ever going to, like, even going to come out like this? How can they do this? Sure enough, it did come out like that. 
with very, very minimal bugs and technical issues. And so the fact that they were able to pull that off just by itself is amazing. It looks like a cartoon. It looks like something that you could, I had somebody jump in my stream one of the times I streamed it. They said, wait, is this based on a TV show? And I had to <laughs> tell them, no, this is original animation. They did all of this from scratch. This is not based on anything. This is a new original world with character, characters and art and designs that they made themselves. And they're not a big team over at co-op. It was just an amazing thing to look at. And then that's not even to get into the game itself. So like, like you said, I like these kind of narrative games. Like Life is Strange is a pinpole game for me just because of how much it changed my like opinion of narrative-based games. It's really swapped, like, swapped around. And like, I think this is definitely a game that follows in the footsteps of Life is Strange. It takes everything, it learns so much from the past of those narrative games that it, legacy that it started and takes that ball and runs with it. The themes are really, really deep and interesting. Like, obviously the world's ending. What do you do with that is already a compelling enough concept, but it takes that the extra mile by really making you care for each character involved really getting you invested in the stakes that are in place. And it does all of that while also having some of the best LGBTQ representation I've ever seen in a video game. There are not only one, there are multiple trans characters in this game. There are multiple non-binary characters in this game. They all feel real. They all feel like their stories are being told in a realistic way that doesn't feel like pandering. It doesn't feel like... Um, virtue signaling to use a term that I hate like it 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 feels natural feels organic as just part of the story it's just it's so poignant and in a moment in a year right now where we need a story that's about moving on in the face of danger moving on being persevering in the face of all-out destruction right like there we live in a world right now that is threatened by very real, like the very real idea of a people not existing, being told that they don't, that they can't exist in the place they exist. This is when we need community. And Goodbye Volcano High does its part to say, yes, it looks bleak. Yes, it looks like the end is here. It looks like that thing is hurtling from the sky and is going to hit anytime soon. But what we have in this moment is each other. We have our community, we have our friends, we have our family. That's what matters. That's what we need to focus on. We can't divide. We need to unite. And a narrative like that is so important in a moment like this. And so, yeah. Oh, and I, I, also, did I mention that the rhythm game is actually kind of fun? That that's there too. But anyway, yeah, it just it made such an impact on me. No pun intended. And mm -hmm. I do plan on eventually playing that again to experience some things I didn't experience because as a narrative game typically does, there are some branching paths eventually that you can do. And I would like to see how the ending might slightly change up depending on choices I make. Uh, yeah, I mean, I saw you stream this. I watched you stream it. Uh, you purposely didn't stream the ending because you wanted everyone to experience it themselves. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, one thing you didn't mention though is that while it is hand-drawn, or looks like hand-drawn animation, and it is set in high school, the characters themselves are not people, though. Right. They're, they're, they're dinosaurs. dinosaurs. <laughs> yeah. That, I mean, you yes, neglected to mention, to, to mention that. Because I, I feel like that's such a, like, it's not an afterthought necessarily, but I think it's such a, 
side note and i think unfortunately a lot of people do see those character designs and it does turn them off from wanting to play it mm -hmm. and that's disappointing to me because i feel like what they're missing is a very human story underneath all the dinosaurs it uses the dinosaur stuff just as a metaphor for the end of the world but you don't they don't need to be dinosaurs in fact there's nothing really making them be dinosaurs it's like you can have that story i think and only make minor changes and have it be about human teenagers and it would work just the same so um yeah not surprised that this is your number one game yeah. um narrative driven rhythm game uh included into it um yeah like i said you were or like you said you were high on it um when it initially premiered in that initial trailer and good to see that hey it actually paid off or it truly you know, truly did the, the wait was well worth the wait yeah but speaking of well worth the wait you have a whole list of five that you need to get to so let's break into it yes list of five games that i played i would like to note that i did not play some of the um more high AAA games, um, life did get in the way, so my actual time <laughs> to game was cut short. But of that, I did was able to manage to pull together five different games to uh add to my list, starting with my slash mobile game of the year. <laughs> sure, we'll dot dot it. dot eventually because this uh is supposed to come to mobile. Like, especially when it launched, but hey, it's coming. Disney Speedstorm. Uh, this is the Disney characters kart racer. Uh, that game put out by Disney. It's, you know, the concept's simple. Disney characters, and they race. But at least the races are very short. They're very quick. And there's a lot of daily missions that make you want to come back. Technically, yes, this can be considered a game as a service. You can also consider it as pay to win because there's loot boxes in there. But hey, yeah, I don't pay for any of that. I ignore all that stuff. I just do it simply for the racing and for the grinding. <laughs> and hey, there's grinding in here. Speaking of grinding in the rails, uh, <laughs> yeah. the grinding to obtain all the new characters that came out in each season pass. Uh, they're currently in the middle of a frozen season, uh, as is mm -hmm. the winter. But hey. Before that, it was Lilo and Stitch. And before that, it was Aladdin. And before that, it was Hercules. So, you know, the fact that they're going to go through all of their um, films and continuously add racers, kind of, I mean, one of the reasons that it makes it on my list is that this game, not finished. This game will ever be evolving. This is a game that's going to be continue to play that I will continue to go back to as they add more content to it, add more tracks to it, add different tracks to it too, because the tracks that they add, are not always the same tracks. It's not mm -hmm. always, hey, you're within the same track. No, they make you do different laps. They make you add different stuff. Uh, sometimes they even change up where the uh, power-ups and booster and locations are at. So mm -hmm. it's not just a single track or a single race, but everything is always feels different and unique to whatever event is going on. Yeah. So that kind of variety adds to why I put this on my list. So it sounds like it's Disney carrot on the stick, the game. It is. It's just constantly yep. chasing a new carrot or racing after a new carrot. So here's my question, though. Now, I don't remember, actually. Did you dabble at all in um, Disney Dreamlight Valley? I did dabble at the beginning of Disney Dreamlight Valley, yes. How do you think Speedstorm compares? Because that is similarly a game that is a lot of 
free to play trimmings and a lot of um, grinding to get to the next unlock thing. Um, how do you think they compare and which one do you prefer? Um, as much as I did like Disney Dreamlight Valley, mm-hmm. uh, the character interactions, I think more in lines with that kind of game. Whereas this, you're not really interacting with the characters, but more right. so uh, playing as your favorite character, whether it be from uh, Mickey Mouse and Friends to Megara from Hercules, right. uh, Mulan, or even Figment is in there for Figment? some reason. Figment yes. is in that game? Yes, Figment is in Disney Speedstorm. What? Why? Because... Because Disney adults, I guess. Because um, Disney adults, yeah. There's a group up there who are willing to pay $40 just to unlock Figment. Yes. But here's the make it or break it uh, question for me. Because yes, even though I said I was going to play this a few weeks ago, I still haven't tried it. This will be the thing that convinces me to or to try it or not try it. How is the actual racing compared to like a Mario Kart? Is it like fun to play? Because if I'm going to be grinding for characters, I want to at least be fun to actually do the racing part. It's fun and it's fast. I will say okay. that because each race takes maybe two minutes, mm. three minutes to go from like start to finish in terms of like, I'm starting this race and it's out and I'm back on the home screen. Follow-up question. Um, does it have local multiplayer? It does. You have it to does? unlock it though. Um, after <laughs> of like, course you after do. get out of the tutorial section. Uh, but yes, local multiplayer and as well as online multiplayer, you can, race with your friends you can race as a team online Mm -hmm. as well so lots of different components to this but i want to say the crap the cross platforming on this Mm -hmm. works very seamlessly while it looks like a game that definitely should be played on the ps5 i've been playing a lot on the switch (laughs) when i can (laughs) and as i mentioned this thing is supposed to come to mobile too so expect those kind of graphics to be on mobile as well Okay. Uh, lots of different versatility for Disney Speedstorm. All right. Well, I guess then um, I should have uh, poo-pooed it before the show about wondering why this is your top, uh, your number five here. I think you convinced me that uh, why it needs to be here, because it seems like there's potential there. Well, you know what my other number five game was going to be, but we're not going to talk about yeah, that. Yeah, we're not going to talk about that. We're not going to give any air airtime to that game. Instead, we're going to move on to number four. Yes, number four. Uh, a sequel of the game yeah. to Jedi, uh, Star Wars Jedi, colon, Survivors. And yes, in a year of stacked gaming, uh, especially of sequels coming out, I went with the better story that is Jedi Survivor, as it took what we certainly established with Jedi Fallen Order. Fast forward a couple years, uh, so that way the games more or less coincide in line with both the growth of the character and the world expansion and hey it works they took mm-hmm. what was initially a uh, platforming game and made an open world platforming they expanded mm-hmm. the world they gave you more worlds to choose from more galaxies to go into more planets to traverse and the interaction and intricacies between each planet is kind of what helps this game uh, more so than other games that are kind of like it, where mm-hmm. your actions from one planet flow with the story to the actions on the next planet, which flow with the story to the bigger overall action as well. Uh, yeah. Lots of twists and turns within this as well. So I really liked the narrative point driven from it too. Mm-hmm. And 
the fact that because you played as Jedi Fallen Order, and by the end of it, you are on your way to becoming a Jedi Master, you start the game with a lot of your Jedi powers. Right. So you don't have to easily learn it. Yes. You don't have that regression that uh, typically happens with uh, sequel games where, oh, yeah. like, oh, you know that game that I played? Yeah, I forgot how to do all of that. Yeah, no, especially no. for games that are influenced or in that Metroidvania kind of vein, mm -hmm. which this first one was, is like very easy to get trapped in like, oh, we reset you at zero. You got to learn how to force jump again. And then this like doesn't do that, which is very nice to see. Yeah, but what it does do is it adds grappling hook and mm -hmm. uh, additional like kind of flight powers as well. And who doesn't love a grappling hook? Yeah, grappling hooks are all in like, the past yeah. three years. They're in. <laughs> So, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, this game seems cool. I played a couple of hours of it. Uh, so I played like the first kind of big area to explore after mm -hmm. the kind of tutorial zone. And yeah, everything you said, even I saw that, even all that in the first two hours. I think the storytelling is really cool and compelling. The characters seem cool. And I'm not the biggest Star Wars guy, but it seemed like that specific story it's telling in the Star Wars universe is compelling and interesting. And on top of that, it's really fun to play. I think that Respawn is really good at feel, making you feel momentum when you're running around and doing the wall jumping. And and I think that's all here um, in this game as well. It just feels fun to play. One thing, though, combat I wasn't super great at, but I feel like if I had spent more time with it, I probably would have refined it with practice. I'm assuming that's kind of where you got with it. Like the more yeah, you play, also... you kind of get used to that kind of dynamic. Yeah, you also can unlock different uh, fighting styles to to more suit your yeah. uh, fighting needs. And I've heard Whether some of the later to... ones that you unlock really break open the game and really make it a lot more fun. Yes, whether you want a, a, a staff, a dual wield, or a two-handed longsword uh, style of play mm -hmm. to, to be more of like a heavy hitter. So yeah. how you want to play does influence the kind of tree, branching trees that you want. But yeah. there's enough to do in there to lock everything. And there's enough to see to where you don't feel like you're going to get stuck. Yeah, I think this is definitely going to be for me. It's going to be something I return to probably next year mm -hmm. uh, when it hits like Game Pass or something. If I have Game Pass then. Um, and then, yeah, because I think I think initially a lot of people were saying that it was kind of buggy at launch, especially the PC version. So given some time where they're, they've been able to update it and refine the experience a little bit more i think it's probably better now a time than ever to play this game so if you missed it earlier in the year this seems like one to pick up and also part of the story um i really want to hammer in is that it's not just a current story within the uh jedi survivor timeline mm -hmm. but it also goes back and forth between a previously existing society as well so yeah. there's a lot of like rune exploration in here is uh, as you explore the deep lore of uh, the Jedi temples and uh, yeah. lost masters. And that's cool because for the really Star Wars inclined, uh, that would be a really fascinating thing for them to dig into. So it's cool mm -hmm. that that's there too. Yeah. Uh, but, but only my number four game. Yes, you still have more to talk about. So what else because do you got? These top three games I ended up platinuming. Yes. Um, I did everything I could. Then once I was done with the story, I went back and did everything I could do to go get all those trophies and at number three it's all about the huge manatees oh the humanity yes okay, tell that me humanity. about tell me about humanity well i love me some puzzles i also <laughs> love me some dogs 
Yes, it's true. So if you're playing as a Shiva Inu, hurting <laughs> around people in order to complete puzzles, well, you got me hooked. <laughs> uh, I mean, essentially, it's a Lemmings-like game where yeah. they're, they're following a certain track as you um, set up the different switches of where you want them to go. Sometimes you only have a limited number of switches. Sometimes you got to use your people to help defeat the other anti-people who are on there as well. Uh, but the progression within the story and the progression within your abilities of the game definitely helps to make it never seem stale or stable. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, uh, as with a lot of puzzle games, there's just a set number of puzzles before you go on to the next kind of chunk. But even within those puzzles, there's different objectives as well. Uh, not you're already trying to make a clear line from point A to point B, but you also got to make a, your line go through to collect the giant gold men, mm-hmm. as those are additional challenges and bonuses. <laughs> and hey, they actually unlock separate perks as well because you're not just dealing with faceless uh, people. You can unlock different skins for them, make them all <laughs> gold men, make them all dogs. Yes, they are all the dogs. (laughs) Drake's favorite Uh, game of 2023. Yes, but hey, even after you complete the game and get through the story, which is kind of very metaphysical story about like humanity in general and like a post AI world when you like it gets down to it. Mm -hmm. But even when you get through all of that, the game technically doesn't end because there is an active community going on where you can download and well, not download, but where you can uh, play other people's creations mm-hmm. and try and beat their humanity style uh, trials as well. Cool. The game doesn't end; it just constantly goes, just like actual humanity. Well, I mean, I guess that'll end eventually, but well, according to Goodbye Volcano High, it will. I was gonna say, especially <laughs> at this rate, am I right? Um, but no, yeah, I mean, uh, an open-ended puzzle game is kind of like the holy grail of video games, I think, is like, just set up a thing that works no matter how you, like, design it, and then let people just make it forever. It's like, yeah, it's like the Ur game, and I think that humanity's ability to do that is really, really cool and compelling. Now, the only thing that that irks me about it is, unfortunately, yes, it's locked to PlayStation at the moment. It is an exclusive, and, but if you have the extra... Um, or premium uh, thing, you get this for free, right? Correct. Yeah. Right. So, so it's there if you want it. But yeah, I'm interested in this game, but I am also weird about puzzle games. I get frustrated kind of easily on some of them, and so I have been hesitant to try this out. Uh, but it definitely seems really, really cool. Yeah. There's also some frustration where you're trying to complete all three objectives within a level, mm-hmm. but you also like, wait, I can only do two of these three. I can do these three. I want to right. finish it, but I also don't know how to do it. Especially so for you, you a perfectionist who wants to do all of the things correctly the first time. Yes, yeah, I'm do sure it all correct before I move on to the next level. Yes. So, yeah, no, I, I, under, I understand that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Humanity uh, sounds sounds like a sounds like a great puzzle game. Yep. Uh, but, but that then brings me to my number two game. And it does. Here because it's Marvel Spider-Man. I demand two. pictures of Spider-Man 2. Which Spider-Man? Because there are now two <laughs> of them. Um, yes, there are two of them. And from what I understand is you swap between them. So yes, it's only about it's... Peter Parker and Miles Morales. Yep. The story uh swaps between those both of those main characters. 
but then there's also some uh, side uh, Mary Jane Watson yes. uh, missions as well. She has a taser, I understand. Pure, yes, they're not just pure stealth missions. And she tases it. She knows she gets how a to gun taser. It. Oh, yes. <laughs> uh, but yes, uh, it was coming into 2023. This was one of my most anticipated games of the year. Hotly anticipated, hotly waiting for it to arrive. And yes, mm-hmm. it did. And yes, it met all of my expectations. Yeah. Uh, as this game deals with a lot about legacy, what it means to leave a legacy, what it means to continue a legacy, and what mm-hmm. it means to uh, drive home how to best save the world. Right. Uh, throwing all of that, you have Craven the Hunter trying to take you down, as well as the introduction of Venom into this world. Mm-hmm. And you have your recipe for not only a classic rogues gallery of Spider-Men <laughs> um, villains, but then you also have with it the humanity of both Peter Parker and Miles Morales in their everyday life. Because mm-hmm. that's what because that's one thing that this game does good, is that it's not just about who wears the mask, but also who's underneath the mask. I mean, These are also people, too, dealing with other real interactions i mean that's kind of the interest the compelling thing about spider-man right it always has been the Mm -hmm. thing why people love spider-man so far so much is because he's relatable he's like an everyday guy who has an everyday life who struggles with stuff that teenagers to college kids to adults struggle with um like realistic relationship dynamics realistic family dynamics but then on top of that he also gets to do the badass superhero stuff and so it's cool that the game that makes spider-man great is that whenever spider-man wins peter parker slash miles morales loses right so you have exactly. that continued duality and that's one thing that they yeah. absolutely nail here is that Br- yeah. can't have it both ways brief brief story about that i remember when i saw the first toby mcguire spider-man with my dad my dad mm-hmm. read a lot of the spider-man comics in the 60s it's like his only comic book knowledge really was he mm-hmm. really liked spider-man and i remember after we got out of that movie he said that he loved it. And he said the reason why he loved it was is because it is not a happy ending for Spider-Man. He says the mm-hmm. thing about Spider-Man as a character, especially that 60s version of Spider-Man, is that he's down on his luck. He never gets the girl. He never gets the like the prize. He's never you don't want to see him win because that's what fuels him is that like he is that character. That character is based on the fact that he doesn't get it. And that's why he was disappointed. He was the only person disappointed by Spider-Man 2, I think, because of yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say, because he didn't really like Spider-Man 2 then, because he no, defeats the villain, he gets the girl, has, he saves the yeah, city. He gets the, they have the whole happy ending there, and that disappointed him. But anyway. Um, but to okay, point, they took it all away from him in, in 3. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, they took a lot away from us in 3. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, um, I think that's the cool thing about these games and what Insomniac's been able to do is that they've been able to translate that part of the Spider-Man experience as well. Remind you of his humanity, like you said. Remind, like, have those quieter moments, those emotional moments. Because yeah, I understand that there's a lot of missions in this game that really tug on the emotional heartstrings. Mm -hmm. But then there's also the technical side of everything. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of the great things that they did in this game was use that SSD from the PlayStation Mm -hmm. and make instant like game hopping instantaneous loading like you pretty much just go from spider-man to spider-man with very little break not just that but you go from the menu of hey i'm I'm on the map Mm -hmm. i need to know where to go next i'm just gonna go right here and go okay you want here we're gonna move you just to street over and load Mm -hmm. you right in and you're good to go that's cool. just the instantaneous 
I need to get over here. I can do it fast with the quick travel, mm-hmm. and I don't have to spend my time swinging around. But as great as that is, they also make swinging around and flying around such a great experience that you kind of don't <laughs> want to use it too. Right. So yeah, lots of good technical feats, Marvels in <laughs> Marvel Spider-Man. Too. <laughs> Wait, you were marveling at this Marvel game? Is that what you? Yes, said? I was. <laughs> Well, cool. But, I'm glad. But it didn't quite get to your top one, though. What's no, up with that? Because my number one game goes to a franchise long in the making and long <laughs> to my heart. And that, of course, is none other than God of War Ragnarok, no, as no, both New Game no, Plus and no. DLC Valhalla came sorry. out this year. You can't do it two years in a row. I'm sorry. But New Game Plus essentially makes it a new game. No, no, look at the Chiron. This also got DLC this week. Yes, it did. Yeah. I also played it. <laughs> I also beat it. Uh, I'm talking about uh, Final Fantasy XVI. Or, or as someone I heard on a podcast say this week, the best Kingdom Hearts game. <laughs> <laughs> okay, tell me. In all does it make, then doesn't make sense that why it's my number one game then? Yeah, I know. Can we just uh, end so- it there then? Yes, in all seriousness, tell me about Ben Starr's Final Fantasy 16. Uh, Final <laughs> Fantasy 16. I planned this thing. I spent 90 hours in this thing. Uh, I went through it. I got to the end. It said you've unlocked Final Fantasy mode. And I immediately <laughs> jumped right back in. Wait, hold on. There's something in this game called Final Fantasy mode. What does that mean? Yeah. It just makes it just makes you like do all the things harder again. So it's not like actual plus? like turn-based Final Fantasy mode now. Okay, I was like, it, it, it increases the level cap. It's just basically new game plus, but they're calling it Final Fantasy mode. <laughs> uh, but they took everything that I like about Final Fantasy: the characters, the interactions, the long ass cutscenes, mm-hmm. and they made them all very interesting. And they added combat to it, but not just turn-based combat. No, they took no. what they learned from Final Fantasy 15 and added real-time combat into this. You jump right into it. There is no cutscene. There is no quick zoom. There is no, oh, we're going to throw you into this uh, area that you have to now fight. No, it's on-the-fly action, high-paced action. You run up to an enemy, you immediately start wailing on them. You mm-hmm. immediately start using your abilities. You immediately start using your icons on them. And it's so amazing. Just the seamless transition is right into it. Exactly what I've been waiting for from a Final Fantasy game. Yeah. And the different abilities. They take what is Final Fantasy lore that we know it of, especially in terms of like the summons, and adds it to actual people. They make the people the summons. They make the people the icons. They make them the the Final Fantasy lore that we know and love but puts a new twist on it to make everything more human mm-hmm. when especially uh, not spoil it, the story, but since we are at the end of your podcast, make the humans matter as they're tied to the summons of the icons, which goes in line with the story of humanity's free will versus that of a deity and what you're quote unquote made for your, mm-hmm. your fate, your future. A lot of this is tied into that kind of mythos right? Uh, around defying your own fate or creating your own destiny. Yeah. And I really love that because every step along the way feels like an earned journey. None of it feels like it's just handed to you. 
it all feels earned. You feel that story go from Clyde, from his childhood, to the tragic loss, to the time skip, to more tragic loss, to what essentially what it means to be human in a way for a video game to take that establishment and say your loss does not define you, but you can define how you handle your loss. Mm-hmm. And then underneath all of that, <laughs> it's a story about brotherhood too. Yeah. What drives you? Vengeance, uh, loss, vengeance, uh, rediscovery, repurposing, and then ultimately brotherhood and being for being with for in each other about family and friends and the society that you make around you the team that you build around you mm-hmm. it's a well executed game that has all these different themes running through it that i just loved every single part of how they were able to weave it all together oh and send this fictional like kingdom land of uh a la game of thrones esque yeah. style with the each different kingdoms with their own different backstories and their own different styles of governing thrown into here as well it's a massive huge game and undertaking that makes it still feel very personal at heart yeah and then I played it twice <laughs> yeah and then I bought the DLC and then I played that I mean, it just seems like they were really playing to yours, your like what you want from a video game. You want a big yes. world with a lot of lore, with a lot of stuff to understand, with a deep like with a story, with characters that are interesting, with stuff that like big sweeping epic themes, and paired yes, with themes. I got to talk about yes, the music. Themes. Huge, big, sweeping. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Like they seemed like they made a game for you. They really yes. did. Um, and we pair that with like Kingdom Hearts style action RPG combat. And then, yeah, I don't blame you for playing almost 100 hours of this thing. It seems like that that it was engineered to just do just that for you. And I'm sure oh, when I booted up DLC. this game, when I booted up the game um, earlier this week uh, because the DLC dropped, Doctor said, Wait, I thought you beat this game. Why are you coming yeah. back to it? <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, but there's DLC, but there's more to do. But I didn't really compete it because there's still more. Yes, I got the platinum, but wait, I didn't complete it or I complete it faster. I can do it better. Right. There's more to do. It really, it it just really seems like it's doing what a Final Fantasy game should do, which is bring you in and make you feel like you're part of this epic fantasy world. And it's doing that on a level of a technical like superiority in a way that has never done before. It's like set a new bar, I think for the expectations for that kind of RPG going forward. Um, and, it, and it paid attention to the changing out, like like the changing world of RPGs from other developers too. Like, I think it's taking cues from like stuff like Dark Souls. I think it's taking cues from like other series like that. And it's like modernizing the process instead of being stuck in that kind of bog that a lot of people thought that Final Fantasy was stuck in when 15 came out. 15, great game, but I feel like a lot of people thought that it was still stuck in this kind of old style of game development, and I think that 16 is seems of the moment. It seems part of the conversation, even if it is trying to ape Game of Thrones a little too much for a lot <laughs> of people. Um, that being said, for those who works for, it works for them, and I think that that's, that's quite an achievement. Uh, even if you get past everything to do in this game, and even if you're done with the narrative 
there is still an arcade mode and version of this game that you can go back and play to rank up on a actual leaderboard mm-hmm. against other players in the world to how fast can you beat this level? How right. how much uh, hit points can you make on this level? Like, can you get that triple S rating on here? <laughs> it's There's a lot thrown into this game that there's something for, I feel everyone in here. Yeah, that's great. Well, I'm glad yeah, you had like such said, a blast with it. It feels like it's a game built for me. So it had to be your number one, I However, guess. Yeah, it has to be our number one. However. Yes, we have now we, the fun uh, task of deciding one game somehow, even though there's no crossover between yes. our lists, to represent our website this year. Uh, how are we going to do this? I don't know. <laughs> um, okay. there's no cro- We have zero um, crossover in either of our top five lists. Here's what I'll say. Here's what I'll say is I'm looking at this list of your top five and mm-hmm. I'm thinking about, yes, we both played Jedi Survivor, but I feel like I didn't play enough Jedi Survivor to be comfortable picking that. So I'm going to rule that out. The rest of these I haven't played, but what I will say is I think after the year that that has, has gone on and after what you had to say, oh, the year that has <laughs> that has happened like and all these things to consider i think of all these games the one that i am convinced that i would really really enjoy spider-man i think i've been really i after everything i've heard about spider-man like it seems like beyond maybe the stealth mary jane sections which i'm approaching with trepidation uh, the rest of it seems like a really compelling package and it seems like a cool ass game that i'm really like interested in trying someday so I think my pitch is the compromise pitch I will make. I think we can say Spider-Man. I think we can pick pick Spider-Man because of all these games, the one that I could have played and probably would have had a blast with, that's it, with a bullet. See, I was about to say the exact same thing with you for Hi-Fi Rush because I Mm. saw you play it. I was convinced I was going to play it too. Uh, I did not get around to getting it to it though. But from what I've seen you play, we'll probably see other people play it especially through a speed run of it. Um, it is a fun hi-fi rush of a game. <laughs> I think... Uh, pun definitely intended. And it is something that I feel like I would have definitely enjoyed. Not only does it have like a music rhythm combat to it, mm. but the characters are right up my alley. The story of taking over the big man is right up my alley. And as you <laughs> mentioned, we're talking about it on the podcast. It does have a Ratchet and Clank kind of feel to it with yeah, the different absolutely. sections into it. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Right up my alley. I mean, we got two really good competitors then in that case. Because, yeah, no, I, I feel like you would really, really enjoy Hi-Fi Rush. Um, so, hmm. This is tough then. Um, hmm. Because I think it's it, this is then, then it kind of becomes a conversation of the classic, like, small game that does a handful of things really really well against the huge triple a game that does a lot of things maybe some better than others but is epic and huge and all mm-hmm. like world swallowing in its in its scope i don't know where which one way to go there um do we honor the underdog or do we give another trophy to spider-man <laughs> <laughs> I say we under we honor the underdog here. 
we're an underdog podcast here. As much as I really love Marvel Spider-Man 2, and I know you're trying to give me the win here. (laughs) I know. I look to at least gesture towards Spider-Man because I see what they're doing. And I also see like it is getting kind of not ignored, but I think it's kind of getting overlooked in in the fate mm-hmm. like in, in in favor of something like Baldur's Gate or Zelda. But yeah. um at the same time though, you could make that same argument about Hi-Fi Rush. I feel like a lot of people have forgotten about it, came out earlier in the year. A lot of people aren't giving it its due. So yeah, I think that sure, I'm with you there if you want to honor Hi-Fi Rush in that way. I think there's a lot of good technical stuff in Spider-Man 2 that we will see in other games. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh People will definitely adopt a lot of the uh, accessibility in from Spider-Man 2, a lot of the movement from Spider-Man 2, a yeah. lot of the story beats, especially having two different characters from Spider-Man 2, that they will use that as a basis going forward. Yeah, no, exactly. But it's hard to see anyone trying to top what it is <laughs> that Hi-Fi Rush can do, what Tingle Games did. Yeah, it's such a singular thing. It's I don't know if they'll ever be able to do it again, if, mm-hmm. even if they wanted to do that again. And it's such a cool moment that yeah. No. All right. You're right. All right. Cool. Yeah. Uh, we can then crown Hi-Fi Rush as the Media Boat Podcast Game of the Year for 2023. And with that, folks, that'll do it. That'll wrap up our games recap for the year that was. Although, real quick, do we want to do some honorable mentions? Yes, we do. Or rather, right. honorable dismentions as <laughs> we have Forspoken we play. Uh, let's not talk about that. Moving on. Uh, Just talk about the good games. We don't need to talk about the bad games. All right. Uh, we have uh, Marvel's Midnight Suns, which I got around to playing. It was late last uh, year. Technically yes. a 22 game. Yep. Uh, Kirby's Return to Dreamland Deluxe, since we're talking about replaying games. Again, we do not have time to go through everything. We'll just focus on the ones you wanted to put in your top five that you couldn't quite fit. How about that? Let's focus. How about Chia? Yes, you love Chia. Little game that could. Yes. Little game that could. Lots of adventure, lots of running around, lots of exploring. Unique concept. You can transform into a bird and poop on things. Yes, you can. Uh, also, um, as mentioned, Zelda Tears of the Kingdom mm-hmm. did not really play Diablo four. You played a lot of, yeah, I mean, two- I'll get to my list. Let's you do yours first. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> shout out to, uh, a light, the, the light in the darkness as we had a friend actually work yeah. on that game. Yes, we did. Uh, and then lastly, okay, I want to call out Jackbox party pack 10. Of course. Uh, I love my Jackboxes. It's in every other kind of year. And this one is actually really good. I yeah, really yeah. Uh, enjoy constantly playing the different games on this one. You did uh, especially mention, uh... once, they meant, once they made a rhythm game work yeah. for uh, Jackbox Party Pack. Uh, Rogue Legacy 2, you didn't mention, but that's definitely uh, one of your follow uh, cat, yes. uh, honorable mention games. Honorable mention Rogue Legacy 2. Was thinking about putting it on my list, but I never actually completed a single run of that. I just kept dying, yeah. uh, which makes me interesting to uh, play even more roguelike games. Because it's one of those genres where I like the concept, but I also hate dying. <laughs> Except enough. if it's Hades. For some reason, really love yeah. Hades. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, lastly, Honkai, colon, Star Rail. Yes. You were not any of my waifus, but hey, you actually <laughs> had a really good combat system. Hey, give it time. They could add somebody that you're like, oh, yeah, no. <laughs> there, there, there she is. <laughs> All right. What about you? What are your honorable mentions? I just have two quick, 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 quick honorable mentions that I want to say. Diablo 4, like you said, put tons of hours into it. Really enjoyed what I played. I had never played a Diablo game. 
It does have its issues, though, and it didn't quite make it into my top five because the other five were stronger. And then the biggest game with a giant caveat asterisk that maybe I've ever played in my entire life, Starfield. Does so many things great. Like, I loved the world. I love some of the potential of the storytelling there. I love some of the characters. And I love the fact it's a Bethesda RPG in space. Great. Great, 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 great. But, and this is a big painful but. Yes, the, I don't like to talk about painful buts. It's, ugh. but it has so many issues. Technical issues. The fact that it doesn't run on, at 60 frames on uh, Series X is ridiculous. The fast travel between planets, instead of letting you feel like you're actually exploring space, is a big disappointment for a lot of people, and me included, even though I do kind of like the zippiness of it. There's a lot that I want to love about Starfield, and a lot that I want to stay in that world and enjoy. But it feels limited, especially weird for a game that was pitched as this game you could do anything in. It just felt like it was something that they couldn't quite get to the level that they needed to. And that's why I think it really disappointed so many people this year. Um, so, yeah, but I still had a lot of fun with it. I still had that really interesting story moments that I talked about on the podcast earlier in the year that made me really feel that I was in, enjoying a game that nobody else really was seeing. But it didn't consistently do that. It didn't do that enough to move it to that top five kind of range for me. So while I really did enjoy it, while I loved it, like a lot what it do, was doing, didn't quite make it. Didn't quite make it, and there were reasons for that. So yeah, I just wanted to shout those two games out. But uh, that's really yeah. it. I think that's it. Um, oh, lastly, in my little, very niche little corner of the world here, <laughs> My Hero Ultra Rumble, right. super niche. <laughs> yes, yes, indeed. Uh, but yeah, well, other than that, That'll that do then. it for us here. Let's run yes. through it one last time yes. with your top five games being mm -hmm. at number five, Hi-Fi Rush, at four, Resident Evil 4, at three, Fashion Dreamer, at two, Super Mario Brothers Wonder, and your number one game, Goodbye Volcano High. Then your top five, you had Disney Speedstorm at number five, Star Wars Jedi Survivor at number four, Humanity at number three, Marvel's Spider-Man 2 at number two, and Final Fantasy 16 as your number one game. And then our crown uh, winner of the game of the year for the Media Boat Podcast website as a whole for 2023 was Hi-Fi Rush. So congratulations to everybody. Congratulations to the honorable mentions. And hey, thanks for tuning in to the whole year with us or just this episode if you're just now tuning in. We'll be back with more wrap-up to come. We have two more segments to do we have television and movies to talk about in the upcoming sundays as well as a final wrap-up episode at the end of the year on new year's eve that will look towards the future look to what 2024 might uh give us and also we still have regular podcasts on tuesdays so tune in to a regular episode of the media boat podcast then as well those are all available in your podcast feed either soon or if you're from coming from the future right now. Hey, you enjoy. took my line. I did take your line. I'm sorry. So yes, enjoy. Have a good day. Yes. And we'll more of us, more. more news, more of us, more lists coming out. Um, yes. As you mentioned, we have uh, TV up next. All Unless right. this so, is in the future. Yes, exactly. In which case is available right now. All right. See you guys. All right. Bye. <laughs>